Welcome to our Christmas Eve service. So glad you've joined us. To friends that we've known for years, welcome, Merry Christmas, and to a bunch of new friends that gather on a night like this. It's so great to have us all together. And I just want to say, those of you who usually celebrate Christmas, like way down south, like you snowbirds, I just want to say, look what you're missing in Indiana on Christmas Eve. It's 60 degrees on Christmas Eve in Indiana. You don't need to go to the deep south. Real followers of Jesus are in the north on December 24th. That's what I like to say. So welcome to our Christmas Eve service together. So it was, I don't know, a few years ago, I decided I needed to see a therapist. Because, you know, sometimes in life you're just going through stuff where you just need to talk to someone else. And um, as a pastor, sometimes it's hard to find the space, like, you know, who do you talk to? And so um, I found this counselor in the Indianapolis, in the Indi- Indianapolis area who specializes in helping people in vocational ministry. And so he agreed to see me, and I said to him, Dr. So-and-so, I said, Doc, I'm here because my stream of joy has dried up, and I'm wondering if I can get it flowing again, and could you help me? And I said, I've, I've got a beautiful wife and a wonderful marriage. I have two amazing daughters who make me so proud to be their dad. I have a job that I enjoy and feels more like a calling than it does just work. Uh, I have a Savior who's given me grace and a wonderful church family to enjoy and experience life with. I said, Doc, I've got a multiplicity of reasons for why the stream of joy should be flowing, but it feels bone dry. Can you help me? Now, parenthesis, I was looking for like, you know, a book in like three steps to like turn deserts to rivers. That's what I was looking for. And classic therapist counselor, he deep breath, kind of slides his glasses off of his face for a moment. Says, well, Eric, let's be curious about that together, shall we? I thought, oh boy, oh boy. (laughs) Did you know Harvard University did the world's longest and most scientific study of happiness? Started in the 1930s, and it was with 724 people in the Boston area. They tracked their lives for 80 plus years, no matter where they spread out and multiplied, and they wrote a book. It's up here on the screen. It's called The Good Life, and they published their findings, and here's how the book opens. It says, the the subtitle of The Good Life is Lessons from the World's Longest Scientific Study of Happiness. Here's the opening sentence of the book. If you had to make one life choice right now to set yourself on the path to future health and happiness, what would it be? Isn't that a great question? They summarize 84 years worth of research, a bunch of PhDs involved with this. They summarized it this way. If we had to take all 84 years of the Harvard study and boil it down to a single principle for living, when I saw that sentence, I sat up in my chair, so I better underline underline this one, it would be this, good relationships keep us healthier and happier, period. So beyond career achievements and financial security and physical fitness, it was the ability to develop and maintain healthy human relationships that more than anything else determined whether you were going to achieve some measure of happiness in this life. Well, tonight, 
we remember that long before like happiness studies and happiness journals and happiness academies and happiness counselors, long before any of them, there were some shepherds out in the field nearby keeping watch and an angel of the Lord came to them and said these words, I bring you good news, this is Luke chapter 2, of great joy that will be for all the people. For today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's Christ the Lord. And in that announcement, it clarifies that Christmas is about relationship. God's so interested in relationship with humanity that he would enter humanity to save humanity, that he would come for us to rescue us. That he wants to initiate relationship. Christmas is about relationship. And tonight, I want us to look at something Jesus brought when he entered the darkness and brokenness of this world. When he took on human flesh, he brought a resource with him that was so vital for human flourishing. If we're going to flourish over the long arc of this life with all of its ebbs and flows, Jesus brought something with him. And he calls it joy. He calls it joy. And we're going to look at what I'm going to call tonight defiant joy. I wonder if God's brought someone here tonight who is right with me in that counselor's office several years ago, and your stream of joy, you said it's beyond bone dry. You said it looks like a barren desert. And actually, you've gotten to the point where you've given up on the concept, and you've just thought, you know what, you're going to resign yourself to the fact that joy is just for everyone else, and you're just going to gut it out and endure. If that's you tonight, hang on. Hang on, Christmas, Jesus has something to say. It's a gift called defiant joy. We'll call it Advent joy. We'll call it Jesus joy. And we're going to look at three characteristics of it from his words to his disciples in John 15 and 16. The first characteristic is an inevitable quality to his joy. I want you to hear what Jesus has to say about this joy. It's, it's beyond what any, as I read through the Harvard study and all that, they, they didn't really have sentences like this one. Like, I don't read anybody else who talks about joy like Jesus does here. Look at this. John 15, 11, Jesus says, I have told you this. Now, who's he speaking with? He's talking to his disciples at their last meal before he's about to be arrested and crucified. So this is a very intense, emotional and it just there's a lot going on here, and he's saying a sense of goodbye, and it's going to get really hard. And he's telling them all this. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you, and your that your joy may be complete. Do you see the connection to my joy, your joy? Do you see that? I don't know who else talks like that. No one else connects my joy to their joy like that. And then he says it'll be complete. That's telling me something about it. Doesn't have to stay bone dry, Simpson. And then John 16, Jesus says, now is your time of grief. We'll get into that in just a minute. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Did you see that, like the definitive nature of what he's saying there? Now, no one, you will rejoice, not like you might rejoice, like I hope you will rejoice. No, you will rejoice and no matter how deep that valley is, no matter how dark those days become, there is a joy that is going to rise from the inside of you that you will not be able to hold down. I want to call it an inevitable joy. And that's carried through the language of the New Testament. In Romans 14, it's the kingdom of God is joy in the Holy Spirit. 
No one's going to take it away. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. 1 Peter 1, in Christ we're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. So I want, I want us to think about it this way. I want us to think about how Jesus' explanation of joy is a little bit like the water line of life. I want us to think about this jar of water as representing everything of the circumstances of life that our lives are inevitably plunged into. See, if you live enough life, you are going to go under the water line of life. Some of you come in tonight, and this is exactly your life right now. You are under the water line of the circumstances of life. It has covered you up. Now is your time of grief. Jesus is saying to the disciples, life's going to get really, really hard. You're going to be under the water. You're going to be submerged completely in the sorrows and the brokenness and the darkness and the pain and the suffering. It's going to stab deep. The pain's going to get so strong that you're not going to be able to shed any more tears because you don't have any tears left to shed. That's this right here. You're going to be submerged into the darkness and sufferings and pain of this life. Now, specifically for those disciples, he's saying, hey, um, in just a few days, you're going to witness the soldiers are going to come. They're going to arrest me. They're going to beat me. They're going to mock me. They're going to publicly crucify me. And that's going to be really, really hard. And then to turn the clock back, remember when Jesus was born? Like when he was born, Herod issued a command that all the two-year-old boys be slaughtered in Jerusalem. That's under the waterline stuff. Or when Mary and Martha, they wanted Jesus to come and heal Lazarus and Jesus shows up a little bit late and they're at the funeral and they're weeping and Jesus holds weeping Mary and weeping Martha, loss of their brother. The waterline of life has submerged them. They're completely covered in brokenness, grief, loss. And tonight, that's where some of you are right now. Some of you feel like the water line of current life just completely swallowed you up. You've said goodbye to someone you love greatly this year. This is the first Christmas, perhaps first Christmas Eve service, that they're not sitting beside you. And the grief just kind of comes in waves. You're under the water line. Or others of you have sat with some doctors and they're giving you some news you never imagined getting. And still others, you've got some stuff going on at home that's just spiraling out of control and the household is splintering. And there's still others of you, it's another Christmas and you're single and you're waiting and you're wondering how long before that companion for life comes. You've been praying and waiting and you're just... And still others, you're in the grip of some addiction that you think is such a secret addiction, but really it's affecting everyone around you, and it feels overpowering and overwhelming. And there's still others with a cloud of anxiety and depression that just hangs over your life. That's this. In this life, you will have trouble. Now is your time of grief. If you're not there tonight, Jesus says, just keep living in this fallen world, and you will get here. Stay with me. Here's defiant joy. Here's Christmas joy. Here's Advent joy. Here's the joy that Jesus offers. Yes, your life will be completely submerged in all of the brokenness of this world. But I promise you this. In Jesus, there is a kind of joy 
has this quality to it. You can't hold me down. You can't hold me down. Dads, it's like when you get the kids in the pool with the big beach ball and you're trying to just keep that thing submerged underwater and you release it. It's that. You cannot hold me down quality. Now, Jesus didn't say you're exempt from all of the darkness, brokenness, pain, sufferings of this life. He said you'll be submerged in it, but it will not get the last word. You may feel swallowed up, but there's an inevitable quality of the joy Jesus offers, and it's like that. It will rise, and it rises out. Do you see it? It rises out of the sufferings and brokenness of this life. That's a defiant joy. That's not a dismissive joy. That's not, you know, sometimes you get around Christian folk and church folk and they got this like Jesus happy smile thing on. They're just living in complete denial of the darkness, brokenness of mess of their own life. That's not this. It's not bypassing how hard this life can become. It's just going, no, I've got, I've got something deeper. I've got something that's going to rise out of that suffering. It's inevitably going to rise. You cannot hold it down. That's what Jesus is saying. And just like for those disciples, perhaps for you tonight, it might be, wow, I've never really experienced that. Well, in a few minutes, I'm going to give you an opportunity where you can talk to the Lord about that, because I think he wants to impart some of that tonight. To some who've come in and decided that the stream's never going to flow again, I think Jesus got something to say about it. It will rise. Not by our might, not by my power, not by our power, but by his. So he says, hey, you know what? Disciples, this life's going to get really, really hard. Now's your time of grace, but you will rejoice, and no one's going to take it away. I'm going to give you a kind of joy this world's not going to be able to take away from you, which leads us into the second quality. It may seem obvious, but Jesus is bringing up not just inevitable, it's going to rise, you cannot hold it down, but it's not circumstantial. And he gives a second metaphor in his kind of last meal with his disciples with this. Here's Look at this. Look up here on the screen. John 16, 21. He steps into a new metaphor. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Now, what we need to remember here is Jesus is saying these words in the B.E. era of history. You know what I mean by the B.E. era of history? Before epidural. Okay? B-E. Ladies, come on now. So, you know, guys, I did whatever, you know, first time dad's supposed to do is when the, you know, the docs and the nurse say, you know what, you should go to those birthing classes, you know, those really super education, bore, super education, bore, <laughs> three hour plus classes on Tuesday night or whatever at St. Vincent that was offering, and I'm sure they were wonderful, you know, their attempts were great. But what they didn't tell me was I was going to go through all of these classes and go through all this enduring pain of these classes and some strange exercises in the midst of it. And then I get close to the end and the doc says, oh, by the way, you're going to have a C-section birth, so all of that's out the window. <laughs> so birthday comes for Lily, our oldest, and Kendra and I, we just, you know, it's one of those, you know, those of you given, you know, you just set the date, the time, you just like set the alarm, we wake up, I looked at Kendra and said, I guess we're going to have a baby today. Seven o'clock this morning. We roll into the hospital. I was not prepared for what I was stepping into, okay? Because instead of like what was I had in my head, like the birthing classes taught me, like it was going to be this, yeah, I'm in an operating room 
Well, there's a lot. And, it, and they happened to ask Kendra, can we make your case a teaching case? Oh, she loved that. She's, at that point, she didn't care, you know. But then there was like 15 med students standing around the perimeter. And I'm, you know, there's the curtain. She's here, the curtain, and then there's a whole lot of stuff going on the other side of the curtain. You with me? And the, the doc says, hey, Dad, would you like to come on the other side of the curtain and take a look? And I'm like, home team. I'm <laughs> home team, me and you right here, babe. I'm good. There's just a lot going on, and there's, yeah, and then the process, and then eventually Lily comes out, and the doc says, would you like to cut the umbilical cord? And I'm like, uh, uh, does it come with like an extension cord? I'm like, <laughs> I get up and cut the umbilical cord, and I kind of get a glance then that there's a lot of things out on the table on the other side, and I, wow, and they clean Lily up, and Kendra She's amazing going through all of this. Her body is just, oh, and then they bring Lily to her. And in that moment, here, here, stay with me here. This is what Jesus is trying to say. Moms, here's the joy that Jesus offers. It's not a denial of the pain and all that's going on at that moment. It's that when Lily was given to Kendra on the other side of that curtain, moms, what happened to the pain and kind of the trauma of the moment? It was swallowed up in the joy of that child right there. That's it. It's taking, hear this, it's taking the circumstantial sorrows of this life and it's walking into them with the joy that swallows them up. It doesn't deny them, it doesn't bypass them, it doesn't dismiss them, it just says, there's a joy that I'm offering. It's like a baby handed to a mother after she's sweating and screaming and all kinds of other things are happening and there's a lot going on with her body and it hurts deeply, as I understand it, ladies. It hurts deeply. But yet in that moment when that child is handed right there, there's the experience that Jesus says, that's the joy that I offer. It is inevitable. It will rise you will not be able to hold it down. And it is not circumstantial. You see, the world's joy, you think about this, like sorrow eats the world's joy for lunch. This, because the world's joy is circumstance dependent. Like we're, if, you're, if you're dependent like on the circumstance, like when your job's going great, your marriage is going reasonably well, and the kids are somewhat on the right track, and you know, finances are going okay, when all these, like, th all these boxes are checked, you're like, yeah, I'm feeling like reasonably joyful. But what happens when any of those things gets out of whack? It just, it just sorrow just eats it for lunch. The world's joy gets sapped away. And here's what Jesus says, hey, I'm giving you a joy, follow this, Christian joy, Advent joy, defiant joy, Jesus' joy goes like this. It says, I will come to you in the sorrows of your life, and I'll actually leverage the sorrows to take you deeper into your joy. <laughs> Wait a minute, Pastor. What are you talking about? I'm talking about this. I'm talking about how we comment in our lives about how life's deepest valleys and darkest days are the places where we have encountered some things that have radically changed our lives more than any of the mountaintops. How is that? Because, let's say you love your job greatly and you lose your job. 
as a Christian, here's what you do. You take kind of the pain, the sorrow, the mess of all of that, and you take it to Jesus. That sorrow drives you to Jesus, who's the source of a joy the world can't take away. Do you see that? So the sorrows drive you deeper to Jesus, and Jesus gives you a joy that the world can't take away, and that joy enables you to sustain the sorrows without getting a bitter, cold, resentful, sour spirit when you suffer. Do you see that? Only Jesus could do that. He's saying, hey, disciple, this is going to get really, really hard. But in the pain of all you're going to experience on Crucifixion Friday and Silent Saturday and all the other Roman leaders that are coming for you, and you're going to witness a lot of your friends enduring what I am enduring, when you go through all of that, here's what you're going to find. You're not going to go around it. You're going to go through it. I'll be with you in it. And when you encounter that sorrow, it's going to take you deeper into me and that I'll give you a joy the world can't take away and it'll allow you to sustain. It'll carry you through the sufferings of this life without it hardening your heart and making your spirit bitter and sour. Anybody interested in that kind of a joy? I'm interested in that kind of a joy. And Christmas says it's available. It's inevitable. It's not circumstantial. Stay with me. The last part is it's prayerful. Jesus says it's actually tied to prayer. He says this in John 16. This is kind of his, he's wrapping his words up before he heads out to be arrested. In that day, you, know, you will no longer ask me for anything. I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive. Look at this line. Ask and you will receive and your what? Your joy will be complete. Do you see that? So he's tying an asking and a receiving from a heavenly father to the joy that you'll be receiving in that. Do you see that? Parents, I want you to think about it like this. You know like when the kids were younger, we got a lot of young kids here. Kids, it's great having you in service tonight. You're doing such a great job. Thank you for enduring all the slightly boring adult stuff that goes on in your minds. But it's great having you here. And parents, do you know when the kid, do you remember when the kids, I remember when the girls were really, really young. I don't know what they called them. Do you remember those like devices where they weren't walking yet, but you got to put them in a little like thing and it had like this big round thing, it had wheels on it. It was kind of like training wheels for walking. Moms, I don't know, what do you call those things? Like a, huh? Walkers? Okay, some, okay, a walker. Shocker, okay, walker. So we had these like walkers, like Lily and Kaylin would, but here's what I found out, like, they wanted to play the walkers like in some really dangerous places. Like they really liked playing with the walkers at the top of the stairs. <laughs> uh, so what did dad or mom do? I'd go over, Lily or Kaylin at the walker at the top of the stairs. I'd pick up the walker. I would displace them away from the stairs. What did they do when I did that? Did they say, oh, thank you, dad. That was so helpful. I appreciate you watching out for me. No, they squawk. They wail. They're like, ah, I want to play over here. This, here, Tim Keller draws it together this way. I put this quote, I think, up here on the screen. You must have this confidence when you pray that God will give you whatever you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. So here it is. Like, mom or dad, like, allows the child to experience the joy of playing, but does it in a way that doesn't harm their life. So they displace them, uproot them, and move them because mom or dad sees a little more, has a little more experience to understand at the top of the stairs is not the right spot. 
The child, on the other hand, is seeing it as like, what the heck, mom and dad are just not letting me have the fun I want to have. Do you see the connection? This is the connection to us and our joy and prayer with our Heavenly Father. Because some of you are here tonight and you've been crying out to God, God, why in the world would you not answer that, come through in that way? Why do you seem inattentive and unresponsive to all my prayers? And here's what, here's what Jesus says. Here's, here's the confidence we can have. Here's where our joy can come from. We can have this confidence that if God's not responding to our prayers the way we want him to, if we're, crying, we're like that little child in the walker being displaced from the top of a stairwell. We've got to trust this, that God has our best in mind, that God loves us, he sees, he knows, and his ways are infinitely higher than our ways, and he's up to something with our best in mind. We can have this confidence that he will answer all the prayers that we would pray if we knew all the things that he knew. That's the confidence we can have. Do you see that connection, church? That's the connection to the prayerfulness and the joyfulness. That it's inevitable, it's not circumstantial, and it comes with this quiet confidence that you have a loving, heavenly Father who sees you and knows you and is at work with your best in mind when you understand it and when you don't. When you squawk when he moves you and when you don't. That's a joy this world can't take away. So worship team, come on back up. Here's how I want to draw this to close. So maybe tonight, maybe you're here and you're just like me sitting in that counselor's office a few years ago. And you say, my stream of joy is bone dry. And if you were honest, maybe you've even moved to the category of resigned to the fact that in this life it's never going to flow again. If that's the case, in a moment, I want to lead you through a prayer that I think Jesus wants to do something about that. Do you believe that Christmas says that his entry in the world brings a resource that is so necessary to flourish through the long arc of this life? It's a resource called joy. And some of you come, and you're really, tonight, you are way under the waterline. And I'm glad you're here, and Jesus is glad you're here. Because tonight he wants to give you something that the world can't hold down. You... There's an inevitable nature he wants to give you tonight to experience him. It's not based on the circumstances of this life. It transcends them like a mom receiving a child. It doesn't deny the pain you're walking through. Some of you are going through some tremendous heartbreaks. It just says there's a companion with you. That's what Christmas says. Emmanuel, I'll be with you. Jesus never promised that we'd go around these things. He promised we'd be submerged in them with him. And he would bring something out of it that this world cannot take away. And maybe tonight, maybe tonight's the first night you're going to say yes to Jesus. Maybe you're here because some people drug you here and you're just being nice to them. And somewhere along the way through the songs of the message, you feel like, God is speaking to your heart and you want to say yes to Jesus. You want Christmas to get personal and that's, this is your night. In just a moment, I'll lead you in a way to do that. Or others of you are here and you remember a time when it used to be really personal with you and God and for all kinds of life reasons, you're just kind of a long way from where you know God wants you to be. And why not make Christmas Eve 2023 the night you just come back? When you're away, you know the muscle you work? Come back. 
I've gotten really good at the comeback muscle. You get really strong at that because my mind just wanders. My life just wanders. I just wander. I just come back. I come back. Christmas says there's a God whose arms are always stretched out this way. He loved humanity so much he entered humanity to save humanity. That's Christmas. No matter how deep that valley, no matter how dark those places you're wandering through, there is a light that has come into the world. You could just come back and he'll be there. Or others of you going through some things where you just need to be reminded tonight that the joy of the Lord can be your strength when you're at the end of your very own rope. And that he can give you something that no one else can give you. And so this is Christmas. It's a defiant joy, a gift of. Defiant in the face of all of the circumstances we may be navigating. Defiant into the darkness. Defiant into the suffering. Not in denial, just in defiance, saying, no, there is actually a joy that's deeper still. And Christmas says, light pushes out the darkness. And grace wins, and hope wins, and grace wins. And yes, joy can even win in the darkest of places. Let's pray together. And so, Father, if you're here tonight and you want to say yes to Jesus, maybe you're joining us online, just join us in prayer now as well. And maybe through the course of tonight, you're just like, you know what? I just need to get it personal between me and Jesus. Just take a moment right now and you can just pray this. Jesus, here's my life. Save me. I know you're the savior of the world. I know you died on a cross and rose from the dead. Thank you for entering this world, being light in the darkness. And I just confess to you that I desperately need a savior. Lord Jesus, save me. I'm a sinner. I've fallen short. I've messed up. Save me. Forgive me. Lead me. Here is my life. I give it to you. In your own words, you just pray something like that. And then still others of you, you you remember, you remember when you prayed that. You maybe even remember going in the waters of baptism to testify about it. And then you look at life and it's just kind of had its way and maybe you're a long ways from where you know God wants you to be. Why not? Why not tonight? Why not just turn around tonight? Why not just come home tonight and just say, God, I want to come back. I want to come back. By your grace and through your love, I just want to come back. And then, Lord, I just want to pray for still others who, they got a desert on the inside of their soul that I'm asking by the power of your spirit, you'd make it a river of living water, that you'd pour out Christmas joy by the power of your spirit, that the stream of living water would begin to flow again, that you'd bring this inevitable, not circumstantial, this prayerful, that you just cause it to flow from the inmost being, I pray. We bring to you the brokenness. We bring to you the hurt. We bring to you the grief. We bring to you the confusion. We bring to you the unanswered questions, the grand mysteries of this life. We bring it all to you and say, we know you're big enough for all of it. And we walk straight into the face of it with this beautiful promise of Christmas that we will not walk it alone, that you will be with us and you will help us. And you have all the power and resources to give us what we need. So I pray you would give that tonight every single one. There's some here tonight who need a measure of just hope in the midst of despair, who need a, just a light to lift the cloud of darkness, who need healing, 
who need a gift of forgiveness, who need reconciliation. Lord, would you impart it tonight? We're just so grateful, Lord, that this is a, a season of the year where we get to sing songs and look at your word and gather together and in a moment light a bunch of candles and be reminded that no matter what has occurred, there is a God who has entered humanity who says, I will bring hope and peace and love and joy that this world cannot take away. And so would you demonstrate that again tonight by the power of your spirit? I ask it for Jesus' sake.